0: Hello, and welcome to the Church Newtown Square podcast. If we can serve you in any way, or if you'd like to learn more about our church family or the x 29 network, please visit us at churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q.org. And now, let's listen in to today's teaching. Now, in this chapter, there are seven seven scenes. The last two scenes we'll just briefly go by, but uh, we'll go through scene by scene. Scene number one, beside the bed of Lazarus. The beginning of this chapter says that now a man was sick. And it was Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. John writes a historical note. He says Mary is the one who anointed Jesus. He's assuming that the readers know who Mary is. In fact, Mary's anointing of Jesus is one of the things that is uh, replicated or retold in both the Gospel of Matthew and of Mark. And then in John chapter 12, uh, we see that Mary anoints. After this scene, Mary comes and anoints Jesus with uh, perfume. And you might uh, realize why it is that Mary anoints Jesus. It is an act of worship. It's an act of gratitude. Uh, Bethany, if you can picture Jerusalem, is up on a hill. And uh, if you look down into the Kidron Valley, it goes to a valley and then a hill, which is the Mount of Olives. And then it goes down again, and it goes out into Bethany. It's only 1.7 miles, and so it's a walkable place. And so this village is where uh, Jesus would often stop. Bethany is also known for a place where they would be hospitable to pilgrims who were going to Jerusalem. So uh, through the festivals and the cycles, the Israelites would have to go up to Jerusalem, and on their way they would be refreshed or maybe even uh, given a place to stay with friends or relatives in the surrounding towns, and Bethany was known as one of those towns that was open to uh, helping pilgrims. Jesus' ministry is not a stranger to uh, the home of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha would host, uh, you may recall the story of Mary and Martha, where Martha is busy doing work while Jesus is teaching, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. This is where Jesus turns to Martha and says, Martha, Mary has chosen the better portion. And so here we have this 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 family, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Mary, who is known by the the early church, uh, the reason why John says it is Mary is so that the early church knows who it is. Now, the four questions that I want to answer this morning are, does Jesus love me? Does Jesus hear me? Can Jesus? Will Jesus help me? And is Jesus God? The first question, does he love me? I want to I want to focus on just a bit, because as I approach this text, it is one of the things that I thought to myself, this is something that I wrestle with. Does Jesus love me? Does he love me more than he loves others? Or does he love me less than he does others? Because in this, it says that, the, that Lazarus, the brother, is the one whom he loves. Look at verse 3. It says, The sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. Further on, it says that Jesus, because he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he stayed two more days in verse 6 to where he was. And we'll we'll look at that in just a moment. But this idea that Jesus has favorites or that Jesus has uh, ones that he loves more than others. Sometimes we can struggle in thinking that other people who are more holy or more Christian or more uh, disciplined or they've got better gifts or these are the people that Jesus really loves. But perhaps maybe you're someone that thinks that, well, Jesus just tolerates me. He doesn't like like being with me he just tolerates and of course he loves me he's God but one of the things in which we need to understand is that Jesus is not uh, us he is human he's he is complete man he was made in the flesh he was the son of God who came into the flesh And he has emotions, as we see in this text. He also has relationships. He has many friends. But he is also the Son of God. He is also God of God. And one of the things that we ought to recognize is that when it says that the Lord loves particular people in the text, it is a a, a way of communicating the fact that Jesus, as a man had relationships with people that in the context of his ministry and the people that he spent time with, he was limited in his human flesh. That is, he couldn't be at more than one place at one time. But yet, we also see the deity of Christ, that he is uh, limited by his flesh, but he is not limited in his Godhead. He is not limited in his deity. We see this because he knows what is going on around him and beyond him. He knows when Lazarus dies. But the affection of the Lord is something that I think sometimes we often struggle with. As as, uh, Dr. McFadden talked about last week, he pointed us to Psalm 13, that how should suffering believers pray? We should cry out to the Lord for our deliverance, he said. He pointed out that we ought to trust in the faithful love of the Lord. But oftentimes when there's a delay in God's answer to our prayers, we often struggle with does the Lord really love me? And then we look at a text like this, and some of us might be like, well, why does Jesus love Lazarus more than someone else? Why does it say, why does John say, this is the one whom Jesus loved? There there had to have been something that made John mark out the fact that Lazarus was particularly loved by God. The fact of the matter is is that we experience, we, sometimes we want to compare God to ourselves. We think that just because God has given us uh, his image, he's made us in his image, that we often will relate to other people like God will relate to other people. And so we think as fathers that, as fathers, we model love for our sons and our daughters and our wife. As As wives... Uh, we model love of God for our husbands and for our children. As friends for one another, we love one another. We have particular attributes that are true of God. But when we think about the way in which we're able to love other people, let's just be honest, when, when it says love one another, love everyone, sometimes there are people who are like, really, Do I ha- How, what does that look like to love this person? Because they deeply annoy me. <laughs> they have these things that I don't know. When When someone frustrates us, we think, uh, to ourselves, how is it possible that I can ever love this person again? And the, the love of God is something that I think uh, we ought to envy. That we ought to envy, and what I mean by that, we ought to envy and desire and, and want God to pay special attention to us because that's what we were created to have His unique, undivided love and attention. But because we are unable to do that, I think about the way in which I love my three sons. Each of my sons, Jack, Jan- Daniel, and Jesse, are, they're each different. They're unique in their own personalities. Uh, you can think of other people that you love dearly, but there's only so much of, of me to go around. I want to pour out, and even if I, even if I had the time to pour out all of my affection and all of my love and all of my time, I can't. I'm exhausted, right? There are there are there are people that even our best friends we want to pour out our love and affection But we find that there's a hindrance to that and so often I think that we would struggle with the fact that does God feel the same way because I feel that way about others Does he get exhausted with loving me when I sin when I struggle when I doubt and? the answer is no he does not in Jonathan Edwards book heaven is a world of love uh, Jonathan Edwards was a, a great theologian uh, just before the, the, the first Great Awakening. And it's a small little uh, book. It's a, it's a small uh, uh, excerpt of, of what he believes heaven is, is like. And in, uh, in one of his sections, he describes the reality of what heaven will be like when we are unhindered, when we are uh, unburdened with sin that restrains us. Listen to this picture of what heaven uh, will be like that Jonathan Edwards imagines to be true because of what the scriptures say. Point number three, there shall be nothing within ourselves to clog or hinder Christians in heaven, believers in heaven, in the exercises and expressions of love. Bear with me for a moment. In this world, in heaven, the saints find much to hinder them, I'm sorry, in this world, the saints find much to hinder them in this respect of loving other people. They have a great deal of dullness and heaviness. They carry about with them a heavy, molded body, a clod of earth, a mass of flesh and blood that is not fitted to be the organ for a soul inflamed with high exercises of divine love. But that has found a great clog and a hindrance to the spirit, so that they cannot express their love to God, as they would, and cannot be so active and lively in it as they desire. In other words, there is something in us that keeps us from loving God as much as we would want to, but also we are unable to love others as well. Often, these believers feign and fly, but they are held down with a dead weight upon their wings. They seek to be active in their love for God, but the love that inclines them to love him is unable to be achieved. So in this world, we have groanings that cannot be uttered. We have uh, works that cannot be done. But in heaven, in heaven, we shall have no such hindrance. There, we will have no dullness, no unwieldiness, no corruption of heart to war against the divine love and hinder its expressions. There will be no earthly body which shall keep us from the heaviness of, of our sin. It will cause us to love others In freedom, the saints in heaven shall have no difficulty in expressing all of their love. There will be a removal of the inability to love others. And when we think about Jesus, Jesus here does not love Lazarus, Mary, or Martha in a way that he does not love us. He has the ability to uniquely love us fully fully, and unconditionally. He loves me as he loves you as he loved Lazarus, as he loved Mary. The problem is, on our end, cultivating a love for Jesus. And that is what I believe John is pointing to, even in himself. He says, I was the beloved of God. John calls himself the beloved disciple. And I think that the capacity to experience the love of God has everything to do with whether or not we intentionally seek his face. I don't know if you follow uh, the Babylon Bee, but the Babylon Bee sends me updates. I, I, it's a satirical uh, Christian news organization that points out the, 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 the ironies and the, and, the, and the things in our culture that point to something uh, that we ought to know as Christians. And one of the headlines this week was, God feels so distant, quote, says man who hasn't prayed all week. And in and, and the cultivation of our relationship with Jesus has everything to do with how much we genuinely feel Subjectively as if Jesus loves us We can know that Jesus loves us, but if we want to have a deep affection for Jesus we must cultivate a relationship with Jesus and Lazarus and Martha and Mary were disciples who uniquely cultivated a relationship and had a relationship with Jesus so much so, and in such a way, that they were the ones loved by Jesus. And that when they said to Jesus, the one you love is sick, Jesus knew, oh, exactly who it is. So beside the bed of Lazarus, Mary and Martha are watching their beloved brother pass into eternity. And for them, their last result is to send word to their master, to their, their teacher, to Jesus. Lord, the, lo- the one you love is sick. See number one, beside the bed of Lazarus. Here, they're driven to the Lord and make a request. See number two, verse four. Jesus and his disciples are camping out in the wilderness of the Transjordan. So, does Jesus hear us? When Jesus heard it, verse 4, he says to his disciples, The sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus is in what's known as the Transjordan. There's a map right up here. Jerusalem is in the south. Bethany is to the east of it. The Transjordan is just northeast of the Sea of Galilee. Galilee is where Jesus would do his ministry for the remainder of his days because the Jews are trying to stone him So he is camping out in the wilderness of the Transjordan It's about a day Maybe a day and a half journey and when Jesus heard it Which means that the messenger came and told Jesus as he was teaching his disciples as they were camping out And so he hears it He hears this message from the ones whom he loves and hearing that the one whom he loved Lazarus is sick Not dead, he's just sick at this point. And then Jesus makes a statement that this is for the glory of God. Which is the point of John that the glory of the Father is the glory of the Son. When Jesus does something, it glorifies himself, but it also glorifies the Father because they are one. And this is uh, intended by God, the Father, to glorify the Son. Jesus knows this. He knows this because he is the omniscient God who knows everything and so he understands that the father has for him this work. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister and Lazarus. So naturally, instead of responding like a helicopter parent, he stayed there two more days. We think to ourselves when we read this text that if Jesus heard that someone was sick, that he should what? Up and get going, right? He should rush back. Sometimes this text is is read as a callous response by Jesus. But when we look closely, we understand that this is actually not something that is calloused, but it is the greatest thing that he could have done for them because it will secure for them the belief in him that they necessarily need so that they will enjoy life with him forever. He stayed two more days. It is a day and a half journey to the Transjordan from Bethany to the north of Galilee to the Transjordan, and so. After that, he stays two more days, and then he says to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The miracle that he is about to perform is going to be something significant that sticks in these disciples' minds. But right now, what they're thinking about is... They just tried to stone you. Judea is the area in the south around Jerusalem. uh, and Judea, that area is where the Jews most congregated. And now Jesus has just left in the previous chapters, them thinking to themselves, this man is a blasphemer. And so they are looking for him. There's a plot to kill him. And so we imagine Jesus beginning to head back. He stayed there two more days. What do you think that Mary and Martha are thinking? They've sent a message, and they're probably thinking to themselves, I know that it's only a day and a half journey. What would you be thinking if you sent a text message and all you saw were the bubbles, right? Does everybody know that on on your phone the bubbles mean that somebody's reading your text? And then when you see the bubbles disappear and there's no respond, you're like, what? They saw the text. That's how you know they saw the text. What you do is you go into your settings and you turn that off so you don't know whether they saw it or not. That way you don't feel angry at them. That's what I do. If you see the bubbles and I've read your text and I don't respond, some of you are like, he read my text, and then for days I don't respond. Doesn't he love me? Don't they love me? Aren't they my friends? Well, they know it's a day and a half, and so after two days, they know by now that Jesus may not be coming. And so they're, does, does he love us? Has he heard us? But we know, because John tells us, no, he heard, and he does love them. But apparently he loves them so much that he stayed two more days. One thing that we need to know about God is that God cares more about what we believe about him than how we feel about him. That he will often delay those answers to prayers so that we might seek his face more. If he were to answer our prayers immediately all the time, sometimes our prayers are so ridiculous and they're not what we need. They're what we want, but they're not what we need. And we don't know that until maybe days or weeks or months or even years go by. That Jesus is not someone who wants to rush and take care of everything so that we might feel good. No, what he wants to do is he wants us to trust him. And he wants us to believe without a doubt in who he is there's a greater work that is being done that he knows about it. There's, a, there's something that needs to be accomplished. And there are probably more layers and connections than we even know in this text, but there's hidden stuff for sure. All we know is what Jesus will do for Lazarus. But as far as they know, in real time, Jesus may not be coming. So Jesus heads down to Judea, scene number three, verse eight, the hike back to Bethany. On the way back to Bethany, often as, dis, as disciples or rabbis would do, he would teach and talk along the way. In verse 8, it says, Rabbi, the disciples told him, uh, you want us to go back to where they want to stone you? This makes absolutely no sense. Do you realize that we just left where they want to stone you? They tried to throw you off a hill. Are you, are, are you forgetting all of this? And Jesus responds and says, are there not 12 hours in a day? As long as it's daytime, if we're walking during the day and we, can, and we can walk seeing clearly, then we're not going to stumble. He gives them a metaphor saying that the time is now. While everyone can see in plain daylight who he is, he's going to do the work that the Father has sent him to do. Because if you walk during the night, you can't see and so you stumble. And So in other words, I, I'm going to do this so that everyone might see and that they will be able to walk without stumbling. Because when I'm gone, he's pointing to, and John's saying, when I'm gone, after the day is over, in other words, after the ministry of Jesus is over and he ascends to the Father, his ministry will be in the Spirit, but it will be after he is gone. And so now the time is coming soon when darkness will fall finally, but we will not be able to see clearly when he is dead. You will will be confused and you will stumble, but as long as there's light in this world, I need to do this. In verse 11, he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. That's the metaphor for taking a nap. Our friend Lazarus is taking a nap. Uh, but I'm on my way to wake him up. And the disciples are like, well, good, okay. So he's sick. He's getting better. That's, that's incredible. And uh, if he's fallen asleep, then he will get well. In other words, why are we going back there? Let's, let's just stay back here. Let's, let's, let's stay here. He's going to be okay. And Jesus, however, was speaking about his death. And so it says that he spoke plainly with them. Lazarus has died Sometimes Jesus needs to speak Clearly and plainly to us He, he speaks to us uh, In circumstances He speaks primarily to us in his word But then when we take our, his word And we try to figure some stuff out And we try to figure out how do I follow him In this particular instance And we pray and we ask Sometimes he speaks plainly to us And sometimes he does that through hardships and circumstances If you're going to continue to do this Then I have orchestrated it so that you will lose your job Or that this relationship will fall apart. Or that this will be exposed in your life and it will cause hardship and pain and embarrassment. I'm doing these things so that you may walk in the light. And often when Jesus wants us to know things plainly, I have a friend who has known me long enough where at one point he just told me straight up, he's like, Tom, you're the type of person that Jesus needs to hit with a two by four in your face. It's that obvious. And I thought to myself, that's pretty true. It takes me some time to figure out, I think I should be doing it this way. Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. But then he says in verse 15, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. As they're walking, he says, let's go to him. I'm glad that I wasn't there because I probably would have, I would have not let him die. I would have been there and I would not have let him die. On the hike back to Bethany, he's teaching them about his ministry, teaching them about himself. Verse 16, Thomas, the twin, says, okay, let's go too so that we may die with him. Jesus is not afraid to go back. He's not a passive God. He's not a fearful God. There's nothing in Jesus that is afraid. In fact, he is calm, cool, and collected. Jesus is not someone who worries about whether or not he's going to show up on time he's not worried about whether people want to stone him he is moving according to plan he is confident he's not shaken at all he goes and his disciples as thomas knows and it begins to figure out that there's a good real chance that if they follow jesus they're going to die too and so he says very brave, very bravely okay let's go and die with him he doesn't know all that he's saying and in fact, he's going to leave the premises once the guards come and take Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Like the other disciples, they're going to scatter like roaches in the daylight. But at this point, he's, he's filled with courage because he's following his leader. Scene number four, a private conversation among dear friends. Has, has Jesus heard us? Does, does he love us? Does, has he heard us? Will he help us? Really help us? When Jesus arrived, he had found, he arrived in the area, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb already for four days. John tells us, again, Bethany was near Jerusalem. It's less than two miles away. What they would do is they would send you Jewish, the Jewish custom was that you would grieve with people. And if you weren't, um, if you didn't have enough family to grieve, they would send mourners. You would actually hire people to sing and to mourn. You'd actually have people that would cry, you know, like they would be able to, <laughs> you must be so sad oh. Oh. I'll send you my bill, thank you And leave they, would, they were professional mourners They would sing and they would cry So that the feeling of mourning and sadness would be, would be, would be seen So here is uh, the town filled with friends Mary and Martha are fairly wealthy We know that because they host meals. They hosted Jesus and all his disciples. Mary anoints in chapter 12 Jesus with expensive perfume. Uh, Where their parents are, the text doesn't say, but we assume that perhaps uh, Mary and Martha's mother and father have passed away. Lazarus is probably the brother that, that works, but they may be wealthy enough where they have a home they're able to host, and they are fairly well off, enough to hire mourners enough to have a houseful that follows them to the tomb. We'll see that in just a minute. But Jesus enters into the town, and Martha hears. There must have been rumors that went down the channel that said Jesus is on his way. So Martha goes out to meet him. She goes out to meet him privately so that she might have a moment with him before everybody else gathers around, because she knows that once Jesus walks in, all of the eyes are going to be on him. All of the attention in the crowd is going to be around him. And so Jesus comes to the outskirts of Bethany, and Martha says in verse 21 to Jesus, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. That's probably true, because Jesus would have seen him get ill, and they would have asked him, and and he would have been in there, been able to heal him, because he's done that with others. But Martha says that even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She kind of humbly says, it's in your hands. But in the background, she's probably thinking to herself, you, you should have been here. You, you could have done something more. To which Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she gives an excuse. I know, I know. I, I've been taught all of the Jewish scriptures. I understand the prophet Ezekiel and Isaiah. I know that the promise is the resurrection of the dead. I know, I, I, under, I believe what the Pharisees believe. I believe that there will be a resurrection. I'm not a Sadducee that doesn't believe in the resurrection, that we're dead, we're dead, we're in the ground. No, I believe that on that last great day of judgment that God will raise the righteous up from the graves and he will separate the unrighteous with the righteous. I know that my brother Will rise again And Jesus looks at her and says No, no, I don't think you understand What I'm saying he, he, will, he will rise Again sooner than you think And he says I am The resurrection All that you've been taught, that's me I am the resurrection Of new life and I am the life That sustains those who are resurrected Everyone Who believes in me when they die, like your brother Lazarus, they're going to live. And everyone that lives, though they die, will live eternally with me. Martha, do you believe this? And in 27, she says, I, yes, Lord, I do believe this. I do believe this. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. This is what John wants us to see. He's writing this He's writing this so that we see this scene, this private scene that really only Martha would have known, which is a witness to us that Jesus... And the ministry of women in his ministry is is vital to the Gospels. If you take out this, how do you know that this account happened? Only because Martha was there. If Martha doesn't recall this, you don't know this conversation goes on. John doesn't write it, and so Martha is vital to the ministry of John and the ministry of the Word in assuring for us the things that Jesus said were true. We don't have the I am the resurrection and the life if Martha doesn't soak it in and communicate it. So, verse 28, she goes back, and she tells her sister Mary, specifically, the teacher's calling for you. Mary gets up, and she runs. She quickly goes to see Jesus. He's not in the village. He goes outside there, and it looks like the rest of the Jews, in verse 31, wanted to follow her. They were following her because they thought that she was going to grieve. They were hired to do that, but they also loved them, probably. Some of them were a mixture of loving. And then they also were probably kind of nosy. They wanted to see where she was going. Jesus is going to have a private conversation with Mary as well. Look at verse 32. Mary came, comes and falls at his feet, and she says the same thing Martha said. Lord, except with more emphasis, there's an exclamation point at the end of here. That's where the language lets you know that Martha said it calm and coolly and collected. She's, Lord, if you'd have been here uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly disappointed, but you'd have, you'd have been able to save our brother. Mary's like, why didn't you come? You could have saved him. And Jesus sees her crying, and he sees the Jews crying. And in this text, we see the emotion of Jesus. Jesus wept in verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He was, he was moved humanly. His body, which is designed to the emotion in our bodies, the things that we feel in our spirits, our body is meant to respond to those. And so he weeps because he's, he is a man just like us. He, he is flesh and bone, and he has emotion. And he is seen as one who loves him. But he, he is moved in his spirit, deeply moved. That is not a strong emotion that is... Uh, a sensitive emotion that is overcome, the translation actually ought to be more like he was outraged in spirit and he was troubled. He looks around at the scene and he's so angered by the scene and he's so saddened by the scene that he's not overcome with sad emotion. He's overcome with emotion that draws him to respond much like a snorting horse. If you've ever seen a horse stand its ground and it snorts and it goes like this and it's just, just, it's an anger. It's telling you, I'm about, to, I'm about to run you over. In the same spirit, Jesus says, I want to know where he is. Where is he at? He sees the grief, and he's angry at death. He is angry also that they don't know the depth of the truth of what the Father has promised, that there is a resurrection at the last day, and that now he is the resurrection. So they show him to the tomb. The tombs were... Caves that were dug into stone, and then they were, they were if you were wealthy, you, were, you dug deep into the ground. There was actually, you can go to the tomb, or the supposed tomb, in Al-Izariah, which is the town of uh, Lazarus. That's what it is in Arabic. You can go there, and there's a, there's a, of course, there was a cathedral built over top of it, and then you can go down into the tomb. But tombs were, if you were wealthy, etched into a cave. And then you would dig down steps, and then you would have these layers of shelving where you could lay loved ones in there. And so what they would do is they would prepare the body, they would lay it in there, and they would roll a stone over it. You're familiar already. This is the last sign. This is the story pointing to what we would see in Jesus as they would roll the stone away from the grave of Joseph of Arimathea, who was a wealthy man who had the same type of grave. It was a stone. You'd walk down steps. You would see the body. It would be covered up. And now it was four days. And Jesus says, roll the stone away. And Martha says, you don't want to do that because it's been four days and it's, a, it's going to stink. Because by day four, the body starts to bloat. And the blood that uh, is in the body begins to foam and leaks out of the mouth and the nose. And then in the microorganisms of the body and the bacteria they begin to produce very extremely unpleasant odors. It's where we get the word putrefaction you begin to get bloated, and then you start to go black, and you start to smell the decomposition. This is why they would put frankincense and myrrh and, and cinnamon and spices so that it would, mold, it would mask the stench of a dead body. And Jesus, as strong a language as he can use with Martha, he turns to her in verse 40 and says, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, there were other people that Jesus raised from the dead, The little girl who was raised, uh, the ruler's daughter, the widow's son who was on a coffin. He came up off of the the pyre, which was probably only a, a day dead. But now, Jesus is going to display his power on Lazarus, who was by this time a rotting corpse. There's no doubt that he was dead. He was dead. So what does he do? Does he love us? Can he hear us? Will he help us? Will he help us? Lazarus, that's all he says, come out. Come out. And what does Lazarus do? This rotting four-day-old corpse. He comes out, bound in his linens, and Jesus says, unwrap him. It is... The craziest graveside service you have ever seen. Is he God? Is he God? Well, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus believe that he is. And the Jews who saw that, a dead man, verse 44, come out bound hand and foot out of the grave alive again, they believe that Jesus is God. The question John has for us is, do we believe that? Does the reader believe that? The two more scenes that we're not going to follow is, there's, after that, an emergency strategic planning session of the Sanhedrin. They hear this, and they're like, what are we going to do about this? Everybody is believing in him, and so that's where they plot to kill him. This is where the turning point in the Gospel of John goes, it says they're going to kill him. And from that point on, they were looking for him, and they were trying to get him uh, so that they could crucify him. And in verse 55, we see John wrapping this story up with the last scene where there's a, a crowd, a chattering crowd, and there's growing anticipation. In which, is Jesus going to come to the last Passover festival? Will he be here? And the answer is he will. Only what, he, what will happen is he will celebrate the last Passover with his disciples. And then he will be captured by the guards who were sent to capture him. And then he will be unjustly accused of blasphemy. And then he will be beaten to a bloody pulp. And then he will hang on a cross. And then he will be buried in the same tomb that he just Uh, The same type of tune that he just brought Lazarus out Only the difference between what he just did with Lazarus Is that the voice will not be some external voice that raises him from the dead It will be his own In fact, he won't even have to speak to himself He will just do it He will lay his body down Because he loves you He lays his body down because he hears you, and your guilt for sin is real. And can he help you? Yes, he can. He will. He has on the cross. Is he God? Yes. Yes, he is. There's some crazy accounts that Christians say. This is one of them. If you're here this morning, and you're like, not familiar with this and you you're like this is a crazy story it is it is a supernatural story but we believe that jesus christ is who he said he was the son of god able to resurrect a rotting corpse and we believe that he will one day resurrect our rotting corpses and this is our hope as christians this is what we celebrate we celebrate the joy of this That no matter what your circumstances, Jesus is able to raise you from the dead. Well, what's the worst that can happen? I could die. All right, well, fine. Once you've resolved to die, you're like, ah, whatever. I'm just going to raise from the dead. Like, you know, we don't go through life flippantly. But our hearts need not be overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. Because God is teaching us something through it. And something greater has been accomplished for us. And that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We celebrate this meal to remind ourselves of this truth, that one day he will say, Mark Tabor, Jesse Hudzina, come out. Right? A hundred years from now, we're going to be buried in the ground. Marie, Greg, Leah and Ryan Dixon, Gomez's, Jack, Nick, all the Tannis family, All of us who trust in Christ, come out. And you will be resurrected to new life. Isn't that great news? The sermon you've just listened to is a presentation of Church Newtown Square. To find out more about our church, check out churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q.org. You are welcome to copy and distribute this sermon to others as long as you do not do it for commercial purposes or alter, transform, or build upon this talk in any way.